0: Our second reading of Scripture this morning comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Listen for God's word to you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life On the third day. Then God allowed him to appear not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach, to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Well, I want to, uh, again... Express your gratitude for coming to our worship service today. This is really the center of our Christian faith, the Easter celebration. It is so much a centerpiece of what we believe that actually every Sunday is a a celebration of Easter in miniature. So this is the center of our faith, and we are glad that you came here today and are sharing it with us. But I want to extend my special gratitude to those of you who are here and maybe you're not a regular church attender. Maybe maybe you came because somebody invited you. Maybe you've been meaning to and you thought Easter was a good occasion to. Uh, um, maybe you're just doing it to be polite and you're just you're sitting there and you're kind of skeptical about the whole thing, but you're here today and I, I want you to know I have been in your shoes. I was raised by... by my, mom, my mom used to take me to church, but... Uh, when I got to college, I kind of left that all behind, and for ten years, the only time I could be found in a church was when somebody invited me, and usually then they had to have a pretty good hold over me. But, but um, God has His way of do, doing funny things with people, and uh, now I go to church every week, so. Um, so, I, I am grateful that you're here, and in fact, I want to hold you up, those of you who are not regular church attenders who are here today, I want to hold you up as kind of an example for uh, the people who do come to church every week, because you're doing something that's very hard. You've crossed a boundary, and boundary crossing is hard. It's, it's especially hard, um, I think, for Christians, um, but, but not uniquely for Christians. I think, really, crossing boundaries is a human problem. Oh, my goodness. So, I don't have my, my helper. So, uh, my, so, where was I? So, you have crossed a boundary. That's a good thing. Um, it's hard to cross boundaries. Uh, it's hard for people to cross boundaries and it's hard for Christians. Christians don't get exempt from the difficulty of crossing boundaries. The reason it's hard is because we are clannish. We are groupish. We like to, to, uh, surround ourselves with people who are part of our little tribe, um, and then, and then we repel the, the people who would try to, to uh, uh, come into our tribe. And, and those tribes hold a, a certain gravitational force over us. Um, and you don't have to come to church to hear this. All you've got to do is go to high school. You remember high school and the way that cliques were, were so easily formed in high school. Uh, or, or, you just have to turn in the TV and pay attention to politics. You know, the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, they're just like cliques in high school, except that in high school they don't act so juvenile. So, so um, so uh, we, we, we see these, we see these cliques. If you're on, if you're on social media, you know the way that, you know the way that people, um, like to be in the little bubble. You know, sometimes we, we realize we are and we feel bad about it, but not very bad because we enjoy being in our little bubble. So if you crossed if you crossed the boundary to come into our space today, um, I'm so grateful you did it, and I want to hold you up as an example because this is something that Christians have trouble with, um, because Christians are humans. The um, evolutionary psychologist uh, Jonathan Haidt he says he says that every every human has this. It's built into us. It's who we are. He says that um, that. Uh, it's because humans are ultra-social creatures. In his book, he's got a great book. I recommend it. It's called *The Righteous Mind: Why Good People Are Divided uh, Between uh, Divided Over Politics and Religion*. So that's Jonathan Haidt, and he is a pioneer in something called Moral Foundations Theory. And he says humans are social animals. That we think of ourselves—you know, I'm kind of like, um, kind of like a, a chimpanzee, but different, right? He says no. You should really think of yourself as more like a honeybee, because humans. Humans are social animals uh, to a far greater degree than any other mammal. Um, humans exist in large societies, and we're able to specialize and benefit from a division of labor. And he says he says that that's a good thing. It's all the advantages that come from being human are because we do specialize. We have these different ways of, of existing with one another, but it comes at a price. Um, he says uh the next screen he's got a quote. He says that one of the key features of ultra sociality appears to be the need to defend a shared nest. And for for animals, you know, for, for a honeybee it's the hive, for for a termite it's the mound, for an ant it's the anthill. But for humans, it's whatever makes up the group. So maybe it's you know it's the the people who live on my side of town. As opposed to those people who live over on that side of town, the people who live in in Fairview or who who live in the hillside, that that we we have our little group. Um, we we have these different ways of of viewing people, um, and uh, and that is the 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 nest that we circle around, and it exerts this gravitational force over us that makes it very hard for us to cross the boundary into somebody else's group or out or even out of our own group. So. I don't know if um, if Hyde is right about this. There are some fascinating studies you can read about. They're called the, um, the uh, minimal group experiments that other psychologists have performed, and what they show is that is that groups immediately grab you and start exerting this this force. They can divide you up into groups. I could I could flip a coin and divide you all into two groups, you know, the A group and the B group, and you could see me flipping the coin. You would know it was a totally arbitrary group. But then, if we did some experiments, we would find that you would start favoring the people in your group over the people in the other group, and it's just something that people do, and and it's just something that that is natural. According to these uh, experiments, they are it's natural about being a human. We favor our own group, and we kind of dismiss the groups that were near. Um, uh, that that are not part of our particular group. So so uh I don't know if uh Height is right, Jonathan Haidt is right about that being baked into humanity since since the dawn of, of time. But it was certainly true in the first century the way it is true today. And that's why the passage we read is so remarkable, because in it we see uh an interplay between two people who are in very different groups and we see the way that they crossed a boundary or they each crossed their own boundary. So I want to look at the story of Peter and Cornelius. Now we picked up the story uh, late in late in the, um, the the chapter. It begins actually at the very beginning of the chapter. So just to uh, to orient us about who they are, Peter we'll hear about more. Peter was a leader in the the, the early church, but Cornelius we only hear about in this one chapter of um, of the New Testament. And Cornelius it tells us was a Roman officer, so he was a uh, he was in the Roman army. And he was a God-fearer. So there's a slide. There we go. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. So uh, for us, a God-fearer, we don't know exactly what that word means. But what it meant in his time is that he was interested in the Jewish God. He was not a Jew himself, but he was interested in the Jewish God. And he, uh, to us, we might say, well, why would he be interested in that? Um, and, and the reason he did is because he grew up with the Roman gods. And the Roman gods would have been a lot different from the way that the Jews talked about their god. The Roman gods were famously indifferent. They just didn't care anything about you. If you if you uh, lived or died, if you were a success or a failure, that was none of their affair because they were the Roman gods and they were indifferent. They were uh, notoriously fickle. They would tell you one thing and then uh, if you depended on them, they would pull the rug out from underneath you. The The, the Roman gods were fickle. And they also could carry a grudge. If you got on their wrong side, then, you know, look out because the Roman gods, according to the stories the Romans told one another, the Roman gods would get even with you eventually. But the Jews told a story about a different kind of God. The Jews told a story about a God who was not indifferent, a God who actually loved. It was a story about a God who was not, who was not fickle, but a God who was trustworthy and faithful and always kept his promises. The Jews told a story about a God who was merciful. And if you did something wrong, he would forgive your wrong. And so Cornelius was intrigued. He was intrigued by the, the God that the Jews worshipped. But he was only a God-fearer. He never became a Jew. And the reason for that is the Jews didn't really welcome, they didn't welcome converts. It's not a proselytizing faith. So, faith. So, uh, he was, he was welcome-ish. He wasn't really welcome, but he was sort of welcome. He could find out more. And, you know, if he wanted to say the same prayers that the Jews said, that's fine, but we're not going to stop you. But really, that's between you and God. You're not our people. And sometimes the church acts that way. Sometimes the church acts welcome-ish. And maybe you've even been to that church. When we lived in Fort Collins, um, my wife and I belonged to a church. It was a great big church, uh, a little bit impersonal, I think, and... Um, uh, or that was the, the concern they had. And so what they did is they said, people, people find us to be a cold church. We're not a very welcoming church. We're kind of a welcome-ish church. And so they said, how can we fix that? So what they came up with is the idea that the visitors would get blue coffee cups and the regular church people would get white coffee cups. And then when you saw somebody with a blue coffee cup, you could kind of, you could kind of gravitate toward them and, and have a conversation and get to know them a little bit better. And it always made me feel bad when I saw people with the blue coffee cups because, because they were standing there all alone and I was with my group. Because I'm groupish. I'm, I'm, I'm clannish. I don't cross borders and boundaries easily. And maybe you can relate. Maybe for you it's not a church situation you're thinking of. Maybe for you it was, it began in the playground. There was that, there was that weird kid and there wasn't anything wrong with him. It's just that nobody liked him and nobody hung out with him. He was his own deal and he really wasn't welcome in our group. I mean, you know, if the teacher made us play with him, we could, but you know, he just wasn't our kind of kid. So we didn't play with him. Or maybe it was that funny looking girl, you know, the one who just had that different thing, you know, and it was just kind of weird. And so, so we just kind of never really hung out with her. Maybe, maybe for, for you it wasn't either of those. It was that guy at work. You know, the one, he's got that accent and it's just so painful to have a conversation with him because you can barely understand him. And, you know, it's not that you're a hater. You know, you don't, you don't dislike them. You just don't have much to do with them. Because we're groupish. We like our little groups and we all have our White coffee cups in different ways. Maybe, maybe it's where you live in town that you live, you live in, in the the nice part of town and you don't really mix with the people from the lousy part of town. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe, maybe you don't mix with the people from Hillside. And that's where, that's where things were for Cornelius. He was welcome-ish. No one was going to lift a finger to help him become a Jew. But, sure, you know, you go right ahead. Knock yourself out. You can worship our God. We won't stop you. But that's really kind of where things were at. No one was going to come to Cornelius. Nobody except God. Because God came to Cornelius. God sent a a vision to Cornelius of an angel who told him, You, Cornelius, I've been paying attention to you. In fact, let's see what he said. The, the the vision that that Cornelius had said to send a man send a, send some men to Jop, Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter, so that was the message that that uh, Cornelius got, and he did. He sent some he sent some of his household staff to go talk to Peter and bring Peter to his house. So they invited Peter and Peter came, and that's the place where we're going to pick up the story in um, verse thirty four. So Peter arrives at his house. They bring him indoors, and scholars tell us that that was probably the first time that Peter had ever in his life entered a Gentile home. That not once before that would Peter have been caught dead in a Gentile home. But he goes in to Cornelius' house and what does he say? He says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. In every nation, even you Gentiles, God has a place for you. God shows no favoritism and he accepts you. And he says, let me tell you the message I've been telling my Jewish friends. He says, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel. What I now realize is also the message for you Gentiles. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. And then it's like he says, wait, let's back up. I want to make sure we're on the same page. He says, he says, you know, you know what happened. You, you, you remember this. And Cornelius would say something like, Yeah, I've only been in country for a few years, but yeah, I've heard the rumors. I do know what's happened, but I'm not sure I know what's happened. So why don't we, why don't we get clear on that? So he says, You know what happened. Beginning, um, It says, You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. He says, Okay. John, yeah, I've heard about John. John is this religious celebrity. He'd, he'd been prominent. He'd kind of burst on the scene about three years earlier and he took the country by storm, really. People, people were attracted to his message because he said, he said that it was so easy to get God on your side, that, that no matter what the people around you were saying or whatever the tapes that were playing in your head about how you were no good and you'd always be that way, that, that God didn't feel that way and all it took To get God to see you differently, to, to, to accept you, to forgive you was just ask for it and you could have it. And then, and then more than that you could be dunked in the river and when you did, then then that would be a memory for you, and that when those tapes began playing or when the critics began telling you that you were no good and God had no use for you, you could remember, yeah, but that guy out at the river, he dunked me. And so many people took John up on the offer that he got the nickname John the Dunker or John the Baptist. And that's how we remember him today. And Cornelius goes, yeah, I heard about John. And then Peter goes on. He says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He says, yeah, I've heard a lot of things about Jesus. You know, you know, when John was arrested, I would have guessed that, that that would have made any other religious celebrities be very careful about showing up. Because, you know, when the last one got beheaded, who wants to be number two? But this Jesus, he not only showed up, but he did even more amazing things. He had an even higher profile than John. He says, yeah. He says, I'd heard that Jesus went around doing good. The two of them, we can imagine that conversation. Peter says, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Those stories you've heard are true. And he says, we apostles are witnesses of all he did in Judea and Jerusalem. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes, starting in Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. I saw all the things he did. The stories are true. And then Cornelius might interrupt and say something like, yeah, but I heard he got killed too. And Peter says, it's true. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But then he says, but you didn't hear the rest of the story because God raised him to life on the third day. Now, Cornelius is a Roman officer he knows about crucifixions he's probably participated in his share of, per, of <clears throat> crucifixions and he goes he goes no excuse me i know about crucifixions nobody nobody is partly killed in a in a crucifixion uh, the whole point of a crucifixion was to have a agonizing slow public death and if this guy was killed the way you say he was then that was the end of him and he goes i know I know that's what happens with crucifixions, but I also know what happened with Jesus because God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. He said, well, maybe you're just imagining it. Maybe you have fond memories. Maybe you saw a ghost. And he says, no, we were those who ate and drank with him. I had breakfast on the beach with my friend who I'd known for the previous three years. It was no ghost and he was not dead. And that's why I came to your house, Cornelius. The reason I came to your house is because the rabbi I serve, the Lord that I now worship, is somebody who crosses boundaries. He crossed the boundary from heaven to earth. He crossed the boundary from our guilt, from his innocence to our guilt. He even crossed the boundary that separates death from life. And he told us, to be boundary crossers. He said, go preach everywhere and testify that God is the one appointed by God. Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one the prophets testified about. People like John saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven to his name. That you are not destined to whatever fate you think you're stuck with. You are not that you are not a victim of God's anger and malice, that God longs to forgive you, and that Jesus is your judge. The one who died for you is your judge. He says, I came to you because I serve a boundary crosser. And everybody deserves the opportunity to hear that God doesn't hate them that God loves them. And whatever people have told them, whatever they tell themselves, God loves you. Everybody. Every nation. Korean and Cameroonian. Native Alaskan. People from Texas coming up to work on the slope. Even Texas. Everybody. Everybody deserves the chance to hear that God loves them. People on Eighty-Eighth Street, living in the, the the cheap apartments. People in Hillside, living in really swank houses. They deserve to hear people. People in Wasilla. People off the road system in a village somewhere in the interior. Everybody, every nation deserves to hear the good news. Cheerleaders and chess club. Addicts. Teetotalers. Winners, losers, everybody deserves to hear the good news. Right-wingers and intersectional feminists, Trumpers and Bernie brothers, black and white, gay and straight, everyone deserves to hear the good news that God loves them. So, what do we do with that? what do we do with it? Well, if you're one of the people I complimented earlier as a boundary crosser, um, it's not for me to tell you what to do. Uh, but let me ask you to consider, you've crossed one boundary. Consider crossing another boundary. Somebody or something got you here. Uh, figure out who your Peter is, who, who, who it is that you need to approach and say, help me understand the rumors I've heard about Jesus. Help me understand why it is that people would worship somebody who was crucified. Just just have that conversation. Figure out who your Peter is and have a conversation with him. Cross one more boundary. And if you're a church person, it's the, the lesson is easy. The lesson is to be like Peter. Uh, not because it comes naturally, it doesn't come naturally, but to go to your Cornelius. pray to God to send a message. <laughs> so that your Cornelius will invite you. You don't have to be a pushy Christian, you know, showing up in the dinner hour, knock, knock, knock. Let me tell you, you know, give you some pamphlets. But pray. Spend some time saying, God, who is the Cornelius you want me to go to? And then go where he sends you. It's difficult to be a boundary crosser. Christians have struggled with this, starting with the very first ones, way back in the book of Acts. We don't like leaving our safety group. But this morning we began our service remembering that Christians have spanned the earth because sometimes we get it right. Sometimes the church does what Jesus calls us to do, to break out of our comfort zone, to cross the room, to have the conversation, to tell people why it is we have gathered on this day to worship a crucified Savior. Be a boundary crosser. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that Jesus is a boundary crosser, that you love us so much that he came from heaven to earth. He came from pure innocence to accept the, the penalty for our guilt, and he crossed the boundary between death and life. We pray, O oh God, that you would make us boundary crossers more than we have ever been, more willing to tell the people, the good news about Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen. Amen.